Valentina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's get right into it. So could you explain a little bit about the genesis of the Weaving Lab and then Youth by Youth, and maybe you can weave these two stories together in order to help people who may not know what you do get situated? I see what you did there. I am happy to share that story, and it's a story of many stories weaving together. So the Weaving Lab is a community of practice for people who see themselves as connectors of people, places, projects into more thriving systems and communities. I uh, came across some of my co-founders first when I was at Ashoka, which is a global learning community, a global network for social entrepreneurs and innovators around the world. I was on its empathy initiative, which um, was focused on bringing social emotional learning into uh, education and um, schools around the world. And I noticed that in this effort of really uh, creating a movement for education transformation, as so uh, at least there was the, the role position that was being invited, that really what I felt was in weaving these partners wasn't a uh, what we needed wasn't more innovations we had all that we need we had all the intelligences of and models of creating the innovations of the future what was not happening was that we weren't really connecting what exists we weren't connecting all the innovators and people and places that are doing work at the cutting edge of creating a better world for people and planet. We are all competing rather than collaborating. And so the Weaving Lab was created in this effort of really creating a movement of movements, uh, of network of networks, of what began as organizations, but really when we start to unpack our egos a bit, that it was really individuals. It's gonna take just individuals showing up for one another in community over a lifetime to really create the transformation that we seek. And so the Weaving Lab was born from that recognition of, of relationships and real deep learning and unlearning over time together in a community of practice as weavers, as connectors. And uh, that will really lead to the, the world that we long for. Understood. And, and so just to interject, just quickly, so you you wax poetic and the way that you speak is amazing. But the way I understood it, and correct me if I'm wrong, and just to summarize, is that there's all these different groups, all these different people in movements who are doing amazing on the ground, NGO related work, trying to advocate for different marginalized groups. You're trying to bring all these people into one space and say, hey, what are things that we can synergize on, work together, how can we support each other in order to get and execute our vision? Does that sound like something appropriate? Do you wanna retell our story and write it? <laughs> that is exactly, that's exactly it. And it begins with learning together first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And I think we're still in that learning phase, to be honest. Uh, so the Weaving Lab really at its core we do have 
some projects, we design learning journeys for other organizations or collective action networks, groups of nonprofits in other regions of the world that say, not just nonprofits, uh, non all civil society actors, so people from nonprofit sector, for-profit government that are trying to weave together, that is really difficult because we our system isn't set up that way. And so Weaving Lab comes in and some of the members of our organization oftentimes are hired as consultants to to play that role mm. yet that isn't the core of what we do and what the, what we are really uh aim to be is that that learning home and professional learning community that is advancing the practice and discipline of weaving so that more and more people in this world can step into that path of becoming a weaver and learn how to do that better so that Across the world, we have more weavers weaving all the innovations and at the margins, the people and places that that need to be uh, be moving towards this more complex, interconnected reality that we're living in. Right, uh, that For we sure. the world of work, the world of the ways that we are being and doing things now are not serving us. We see it with all the crises that are happening. And so we need weavers to transition us from how we're doing things now to the ways that we can be and do things that will really service that future. A hundred percent. And so not only are you just bringing people together to work together, you're teaching people how to work together in a weird way from these different industries that or industries is a weird way to say it, but parts of the pro-social, we're going to advance change in the society. You're teaching them also how to work together in this very segmented, siloed world, which I truly do appreciate. And now I have to ask, where did the term weaving specifically come from? So I saw that a lot. I thought of integration. I thought of synergizing. I thought of all these different words that kind of could characterize what you're doing. But that, but your thoughtful lady... What made you choose weaving specifically? So that I cannot claim the first idea of that. So the weaving lab is also woven by a collective of individuals. So on the co-founding team, there are 12 of us. And we all came in through, as I said, as a story of many stories of us coming together from various roles and vantage points and perspectives from around the world. We have some folks on the on the the core team that are based in Colombia and India and Russia and and a UK and we all kept convening around education transformation different conferences experiences and designing smaller and larger learning journeys over time for us and others in collaboration from our various organizations and over time this idea of weaving emerge as a metaphor to really explain what we were doing, because it's, as you said, I wax poetic. It's, it's sort of a symptom of the fact that it's really hard to communicate those intangible forces that move people from a place of operating from ego to really thinking, acting, and being in the eco, in the ecosystemic. So this movement from ego to eco is really this transition that we're 
we were asked and invited and we had all been playing in very different ways in our various roles. Can you describe that a little bit more? Um, this is not on the list, but I love what you said there. The transition from ego to eco. What do you identify as people acting, behaving in ego versus people acting and behaving in eco? Mm. So very simple explanation. Uh, the heropreneur. I've, maybe you've heard of this term before, but it's the often narrative that there is this hero that comes to save us in the social in the social sector and social issues and in many other sort of domains you know you have that that idea of Steve Jobs who came in with a big idea and revolutionized the way technology happens right and the reality is is that the narrative that's a narrative that us as humans are putting on a a story on a on a situation that really when it comes to especially community transformation that there isn't a hero there may be a weaver there may be a visionary there may be that operational uh mastermind there is that caretaker role there's a set of there's a number of roles that come together to really shape and move a a mission forward and that transition from ego to eco is recognizing really how change happens in every movement that we've seen in history is that there might be someone that the media or the the storyteller that dominant at the time has shine, shined a light on and we often want to create that hero story, right? Yet behind the scenes, it's an ecosystem that is really woven with and through many people that really makes something happen. It wasn't Gandhi alone that really led India into independence. There was a lot of movers and shakers that Gandhi was working with and through and seeds planted even before and people really making intentional choices to opt out of a existing system that wasn't serving them and make their own clothes and uh, collect their own salt. That really, that ecosystem is really what created the transformation. And so that's, that is the, that is one example of what it means to really give attention to the eco, the ecosystem. Uh, on another level, it's also recognizing that humans are not at the top of this being pyramid of species. And I think a lot of times we see that we're at the top of the food chain and then you have all the other predators and then plants uh, eating animals and, and then you have the more inanimate ones and that's really not how life is organized on this planet. And if you really look at a forest and think of it as an ecosystem, there's every microorganism from the smallest mushroom to the biggest tree has a role to play. And so it's recognizing that us as humans are just another part of that web. 
we have a role to play in stewarding and being stewards of an ecosystem that we are a part of, that we are nature. And we have done so much damage to this earth, considering ourselves separate from nature and dominant over nature. And if we transition that egoic stance to one of an ecosystemic stance with nature, we would see life flourishing for also people and also our planet. Got you. And it seems that that is the driving philosophy behind the weaving lab, that idea that it's not just one individual, it's a community. You know, I think MLK is a great example. You know, we lionize him. I mean, he is MLK. He did a lot of good stuff for the movement and civil rights in America. But there are thousands of people, a lot of church associations, pastors that are relatively unknown, people who really organize behind them in order to make the movement happen. I think what you're saying makes so much sense. And the weaving lab, is such a great way to have a practical implementation of having these facilitation workshops and training sessions where people can learn how to work with these different parties. And so now that I've sidetracked you from talking about Youth by Youth, why don't you go into that and tell the folks about that? Yeah. So through the weaving lab, when we really, that word weaving emerged as a metaphor amongst the, the community, there was a learning journey that we went on as, as a group of co-founders and co-creators of this weaving lab to design it, and, which was a lot of fun and really opening of my own identity as a weaver and a edupreneur and all the other sort of terms that I try to use to describe myself professionally. And that learning journey introduced me with depth to a specific individual, Zineb Muyi, who has become my co-founder of Youth by Youth and uh, my partner in life creations of, of organizations. <laughs> and I noticed with her what we were noticing from all of our various experiences she had been at the World Innovation Summit in Education, which is another organization that also was looking at bird's eye view of innovations in education and really trying to weave them together through um, this nonprofit uh, funded by the Qatar Foundation. And we both found ourselves in this, this odd place and positionality at these conversations where we were often the youngest person in the room, one of the only brown people in the room, and uh, and yeah, being also a woman and young and holding quite a bit of responsibility. And all those intersections felt that this one shouldn't be, and two, how is this truly global when we are the closest we're the, we're the closest represent, representation of the global majority. And, and, and how are we really centering young people in this conversation of education transformation, which so, everyone kept. Got you. So wait, you finished your sentence. I just want to ask a follow-up real quick. Yes. Yeah. We're just saying, yeah, all these conversations were saying, how do we center young people in 
the transformation of education. And there were no young people in the room unless mm. they were put on the stage as, hey, here's a young person speak. But none of the young people were actually co-creators, co-designers, and then invested in to really be the lead weavers of our action and solidarity. So that's where Youth by Youth came in. Understood. So you're at a conference about how to do education around the world. And you are one of the youngest people there. You didn't have the actual opportunity to see lots of representation of people who are young, who are receiving the education from the system. And the only time that they really platformed the voices was like to clap for them and being like, oh, that's a young person up there. Good for you talking about education. But really let the adults make the decisions and, you know, bow down. I, I, I copy. And so Youth by Youth, in your mind, was the antidote to that. It's a way to empower those voices and really push for the changes in the educational system that you want. I think what's super fascinating about Youth by Youth is how there's such a international community. Because I was looking at the website, it's people are from everywhere in Youth by mm -hmm. Youth. It's really cool. You got some Nigerians, of course, there's Americans. I mean, you're there. There's people from all over the country, from all over, excuse me, all over the world representing in this organization. And they're all super excited and engaged. And so when you were building that coalition, was that a was that a real big priority for you, one? And if it was, how do you think that leads to the ultimate goal of driving policy solutions in the educational realm to make youth education better? Mm, great questions. So yes, the intentional diversity. We really saw ourselves as a bridge to bringing in those less heard, much needed, in the majority in actuality in our education system voices into a very global north western dominated conversation and uh as you notice the majority of our countries that are in youth by youth are from the global south from regions that are less represented that are in areas that are experiencing the deepest of challenges amidst the climate crises and uh, the many conflicts that are happening in this world because those young people are standing up and saying, I, I know I need to learn from what there exists in the globe to resolve the challenges in my local community. And I don't want to leave my local community in order to make those challenges. And I think a lot of these regions, often the solution that people offer is saying, hey, we're gonna make you a part of a fellowship. You are gonna now go somewhere else for your education or for a job. And you have to leave the community that you're serving in order to learn that with the hope that maybe you'll return, right? And mm. what we're trying to do is build a bridge in this global inter globally interconnected world where through the interwebs we can access almost hopefully soon every human and uh, and definitely we can share incredible amount of knowledge and really make that globally accessible to the hardest to reach places so that global transformation that globally informed locally driven transformation can happen. So how does that lead to policy? Is that 
government's not a first mover. Government's, government is a follower. They see what works and then they, they learn from it, hopefully, then take it into their existing systems and replicate it into what exists. And that is where we see the grassroots meeting the government. So we are really seeding the youth-led intergenerational action circles, action labs, local hubs. We have a lot of words that we, we say, but basically are communities of young people and adults coming together to resolve problems in their context around youth mental health, climate and nature education, peace education, um, relational and inclusive education, funding and fundraising, all these challenges, they're figuring out what works best for them using and tapping into a global community of knowledge of other people who are experimenting and learning from this. Where that grows is an example like in, in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, almost a third of our community is actually Nigerian. And that is because also there's a lot of young people there. And uh, so we are where also the majority of our young people exist in this world. I want to mm. also recognize that, that maybe for a U.S. and European, a lot of the countries seem random, yet they're actually intentional choices of being with the global majority and really giving power back, power shifting back to that majority. And so in Lagos, Nigeria, we have a community of young people that have really been with a core focus of transforming teacher development, supporting youth educators. A lot of young people, we've been partnering with Teach for All, which is the more global uh, Teach for America coalition of, of country level um, programs that are teacher capacity building programs. We work with them and then we also, to source young people who wanna dive deeper into taking that educational lens into their communities in a more with another uh with this lens of weaving how do you bring now those teachers those students in communication and in collaboration with the community around them and we have now started to because of that work of already starting to weave with young people and adults and educators who are ready kind of all trying to do this transform learning in their own ways and their little seeds we now have been working with the National Youth Service Corps in Nigeria, which is the government provided teacher development program who says, hey, we don't really have anything like this. We train up about a thousand educators at a time for two weeks in a boot camp and then send them into schools. Mm. That's how professional development happens. What if we could bring in some sort of support system like you are developing through uh, in partnership. And that's kind of our policy shifting approach is through action and collaboration at the moment is in 10 years time, which we play the long game, what we're seeding with these local hubs, with these smaller local communities and experiments that are really pioneering youth-led intergenerationally supported initiatives that are informed and interconnected with global initiatives around the world. What we're hoping 
is that we can start to mobilize campaigns around specific policy objectives. Um, one of those that really was an initial seed for Youth by Youth was the UN Rights of the Child um, Convention on the Rights of the Child, which has not been ratified by the US, though most countries of the world, just to name. And uh, one of the propositions in there is that there should be, young people should be have decision-making power in education and their learning experiences. And that, that amendment has not really been exercised. So what we'd love to see is that there is a youth minister that is working with and alongside every minister of education around the world that is really building those bridges intergenerationally to ensure that we're not only designing an education system or continuing an education system that was started in the 1700s and hasn't changed since the industrial revolution and shared across the world with colonization. We're actually continuously learning and evolving our education system as rapidly as our young people are evolving and growing. And that is an, an ultimate goal. And we hope that our youth by youth folks that are a part of our community grow into the adult allies that remained in our community and enter into, some of them entering into policymaking positions that then can start to open doors in that 10, 15, 20 years time to make that possible. Wonderful. But, so that long game that you mentioned, I really appreciate that because I feel in this space when people want to make social impact, it's we want to do something now. We want to change. And sometimes, you know, if there's crises going on and there's something terrible, people feel like the climate is about to end us. You know, now is a pretty good timeline for like doing things, but also playing the long game in the way I was saying youth by youth, we're going to develop the talent within ourselves to be great educators and teach people how to educate people. And then in due time, these people who are know how to educate with modern solutions are going to enter government and eventually change the paradigm of education around the world. That is a beautiful way to do it. And what you said is so spot on. Governments are always laggards in the adoptions of new techniques and practices. And so it's only natural that as time goes on, people like you with great ideas on how to educate people are going to come into prominence. So next question I have for you. In terms of some of the unique things that you are teaching, the strategies, the kind of seminars and facilitation um, ways that you are going about educating, what are some of those things that are different than the standard educational model? As you mentioned, the industrial classroom, everybody's looking at the teacher, facing the board, doing that things. What are some of the common competencies that youth by youth people have and want to export out to the world? Mm. So not export, but integrate. Excuse me. Yes. And because uh, there will be recontextualized, though at the core, we have a pedagogical approach and it is what is, what if, what now? So all of our programs and learning processes begins with a process of understanding what is, what are our challenges in our experiences of education? What, what is my experience? What is your experience? 
what are the, the challenges that we see and face around the world? What, what does it mean? What is, what is the purpose of education? What is, it, what is my role to play? What is my purpose? Those questions are all unearthed in what we call our sense-making and meaning-making phase of learning. And that goes into deep into well-being, first and foremost, because we draw the very caregiving types of people who are willing to put themselves out there for others. And that often comes at the expense of the self. At Ashoka, a study that was done with uh, a, the well-being initiative that emerged and now has become its own initiative was done on our network of social entrepreneurs. And it is a ghastly number how many experience burnout. And that's even more high amongst youth entrepreneurs and uh, social innovators. That And that number is increasing of young people who are taking that on because we see the world. It seems like there's no other choice but to participate in its, in its healing and in our healing or else really there's an or else. And so young people are more and more sticking their necks out for very little return of their investment mm. and pushing themselves to burnout. And so what we really stand on is that first and foremost education activism as we we call this this capacity that we we build is needs to be rooted in individual and collective well-being and really both of those at its core and love not anger not reaction even though all of those things are a natural and important part to process and make sense of it and a new world can only be birthed from a community of care, love, and belonging for one another and ourselves. And so that really, that foundation of trust and relationship building is essential and also incredible what, can, what we've been able to unlock across cultures, languages, races, religions, genders, all of that, generations, through a process of real, authentic sense-making and meaning-making in community with one another. So that's kind of the foundational process. The, the next step of that learning journey is what if, radical reimagination. And what we call radical reimagination and really that capacity is being able to, to see and tap into the root of an issue, so that's the radix, the root, that's the Latin root of the, that word, it means roots, it doesn't mean crazy at the margins, yeah. fiery, you know, what everyone kind of says, and also that is radical transformation is needed, but what that means is really change from the root. So taking that understanding of what is, that depth and groundedness in our own individual and collective well-being and care for one another, and now envisioning what if, how might we create the world of our deepest longing? How might we 
use our collective intelligence and creative capacities and all the gifts that we have to offer to really design a better world because everything that we are living in, we created as, as humans and or have exercised some maybe positive and negative externalities on the world around us. But we created a lot of the human, we, all, we, we created everything that's a human system. And that, that power and potential can also be wielded for really constructive outcomes. And if we really can radically reimagine what could look differently. And, you know, there's a often cited study that a lot of people in edu that really are disparaging of today's education system cite, which is that when there's, there was a, um, uh, a study done on five-year-olds of their creative capacity. Yeah, uh, see that you know this, that, that uh, when they were asked how many ways that they can think of using a paperclip and other ways of solving any problem, how many ways can you think of it? They sort of scored a 98% genius level in terms of creative possibilities. Go to 15 years old, they already dropped to 12% in terms of genius level. And then they get to when they are adults later in life, and now they're scoring at 2%. So something happened between here and there in their lifetime that they became dumber in creativity. And that, for, that is a design flaw of our education system. And so radical reimagination is bringing back that sense of play, that sense of wonder, that creative possibility and problem solving. And we do that through many different forms. Our, our Zooms and in-person facilitation engages all of us, our heart, mind, body, spirit in the process of learning. And I think that that's a real, that's important to exercise in radical reimagination. And then with that, with those ideas that are planted or that are, are imagined and seeds that really of, you know, seeds sown in the relationships in that process, we then go to the final phase, which is what now? Collective action. How might we work together? How might we weave our individual learning questions and ideas into a new, a new approach, a new social fabric, a project, a story, whatever that is that emerges from the process, which I think is a unique, a unique approach because a lot of times we go into a learning journey already with the end in mind. We already have a product that we're, we're come to design. And the, the whole process is getting us to that product. Yet we start the whole learning journey with a learning question. You don't start with an idea that you're trying to build. When you come into one of our programs, you start with a learning question. And through the process, the actual project or product becomes clear, really in that what if phase. And the what now is when you really concretize it, you engage other allies. We bring allies and partners from our community to really water that seed and provide allyship 
is not mentorship, but allyship, because learning happens in both directions. And, and then really make that, that idea come to life. And um, that cycle of what is, what if, what now, because it's a cycle, because there, there you go, you experiment, you prototype, and now you have to make sense. What's happening here? What is working? What isn't? Uh, how did I enjoy that process? Is this going to really lead to the outcomes that I, that I set forth? What have I learned about my question? And so you start back at what is having to radically reimagine what if and then take action what now. And that cycle is what we're hoping to give gift to every young person of this world so that they can reclaim their learning wherever they are. Because they may be a student of a certain school or education system, but their learning is theirs. So that is what we want every young person to really internalize that no matter where you are and what constraints that you have, your learning is yours. Take it back, take this lens. We invite you to take this lens of really sense-making, meaning-making, radical reimagination and collective action and really, really try to, to integrate that into your life on a foundation of well-being. Keep going with that process, define your learning questions and see what you become capable of and see what your community is more capable of because you are becoming your most actualized self. I hope you're liking the content so far. If you are, I don't need you to like or follow or anything. Just share it with someone that you think would appreciate it. Now back to the programming. And so when you talk about what is, what, when you're talking about what is, what if, and what now, could you give a good example of when it clicked for one of the youth you were working with or any particular story that is emblematic of that process at work? For sure. Um, I will share a story from Uganda, uh, Rufin Kungwa, who came into our Global Action Circles program with a learning question around how to create peace, how to build peace in education, in, in service of his particular community, which was living and growing up, living in Nakivali refugee camp. Rufin is a refugee from the Congo, from the DRC, and grew, his learning was entirely reclaimed already in that, in that he taught himself how to speak English through YouTube. And, and so he came to us through another friend of his that had been on that learning that in from the same camp who was connected to us and found a really awesome mentor coach that connected them to us. So these chains, these webs of relationships led Rufin to join our global action circles uh, learning journey. And he ended up creating a 
workshop process for all the heads of schools and educators that of the schools that the children of his refugee camp went to to teach about how to intentionally bring peace through education and that meaning conflict resolution skills so the way that discipline is approached in that region is not one rooted in peace corporal punishment is very much a still part of the culture so how do you instead bring peer-to-peer -peer resolution skills as opposed to using more top-down and even potentially violent approaches uh, he also is teaching about compassion and empathy that violence and war is the result of violence that that sense of separation and and lack of compassion and empathy uh, for different people from different perspectives and these conversations are just not just weren't being told and bring and really understood what is the root of war we think war is these political powers and groups that are coming together but really the first war is the battle within ourselves and i think that really that series of workshops and that has now become a association of head teachers for that region around Nakivale, as is what came out of his learning journey through the global action circles. And of course he was on our peace education global action circle. And now Rufin, so then the next year he joined our 10 month fellowship called our Weavership. So that is really, okay, you create an initiative that you brought into fruition. And it was clear that Rufin was already a weaver. He was already bringing people together and really engaging. And so he then joined our weavership fellowship. Can we pause just to recap on all that he did? Because that that's wow. So to my understanding, he basically looked at the way education was being done in his community, said, you know, the corporal punishment towards the kids. So beating kids when they do something wrong, um, the ability for the teachers to be a little bit not as understanding and compassionate in the process of understanding how to best deal with the or the youth in the classroom. He then said, let's make an association for all the teachers in the village, in the area, for them to compare notes and learn more about the best practices for educating the youth there. Is that, does that sound appropriate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And, yeah. And so in that process, he then joined the weavership and then I assume when he joined the weavership, that just put that idea on steroids. So as you were saying, please. Well, now he's supporting other young people's ideas in his in Nakivale to come to life. And he's now become so what so our weavership is designed that you have five months of learning and five months of practice. And that that learning really you go through all the foundational layers of weaving the self, weaving relationships, weaving communities, weaving ecosystems, weaving movements, and looking at different models of how people do that, different facilitation tools, because that, at the end of the day, that's the, the power of a weaver, is really that, as a facilitator of people, and, among, and ideas, and places, and all those ingredients. And so he chose, as his weaving practice, to now really 
create a local hub, a youth by youth hub in Enakia Valley, which is one of our um, offerings. He says, well, now bring this what is, what if, what now circling of ideation to your community and create a home there. Because the reality is not everyone, one, we speak English online with Youth by Youth. That's not inclusive of everyone. So we need to localize. So that's why our, our global hubs are going to be really the future evolution of Youth by Youth to start to become more and more inclusive. And so he took on that journey of starting a global hub in Nakivale that now, in addition to his own initiative and weaving of that association of head teachers and running workshops, he is weaving a team with also another team, couple of team members with youth in the camp uh, and other partners and allies uh, to, to create that, that home for innovation and addressing the challenges that they see in their community. And some of them are much more basic, like water. When I say basic, I mean like foundationally basic necessities that are necess that they need is clean water and accessible food. Inflation's not helping anyone anywhere. Oh. And so how that's also what he is now working on is how to create a more vibrant ecosystem that that not only can there be more people who think of ideas that he is thinking of, and there's more people participating in resolving their own challenges. And that's really what we're trying to, to seed in all these various communities through these individuals that go through our weavership is that's bringing that to their local communities to bring that learning process to more young people who can bring that to other young people mm. and have that that uh, DNA, if you will, of sense-making, meaning-making, radical reimagination and collective action really come to life for as many people as possible. I love it. Taking the youth by youth way, trying to integrate, not export, but integrate it into all the communities around the world. And hopefully that leads into a beautiful policy solution where these leaders come through and take that to the highest, highest parts of government. And it trickles down in a beautiful effect. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I think the big question here is, so what? What is the impact? What happens if all of this work stops and 10 years from now, we're not able to see the work that Youth by Youth is doing coming to fruition. What does that world look like? And why is it so bad? How do we avoid it also? That's a question I hope you can answer. Look within. What's in your power? I think that's the what we each need to ask from our various positions. Because youth by youth, is growing through and with young people who many see as they're the resilient misfits of the system, right? They, they really see that something, they don't, they, they have this sense something is not right. 
in the way that we're learning, in the way that we're being and doing and acting and working, something is not right. And Youth by Youth comes to affirm and say, yes, that inkling that's in your heart, mind, soul that you just can't sit right with, that's shared by more people than you know. Maybe you don't see it in your community, yet there are people around the world that are waking up to that. And we're here to support you and provide a home of belonging, even if and when you hit that conflict and tension with that sense of belonging where you are. And maybe, and that's gonna be, so the so what is, we can either continue to marginalize and oppress that sentiment that something is not right and continue to see the impacts that that is having on our young people. And we already see rising depression, anxiety, suicide, in a lot of deep pain, eco-anxiety, right, of being in this climate crisis that is just even more visible because of social media and more accessible content creation tools that we can share that story. And we can either choose to ignore it and allow that to flame us out and burn us and our young people first and foremost. And then, then what would be left? The planet to regenerate itself, but definitely not humans. So the so what is that is not what I think when we usually talk about this, the, the crises of our time and climate crises, you say the planet is hurting, but people and planet are hurting. And the real so what is not that the planet's gonna go away, it's that people are. We're gonna just burn ourselves out. And we're seeing that happening around the world right now in, in the DRC, in Maniapur, in Israel, Palestine, in Ukraine. We're seeing the way that we're burning ourselves out. And that is a symptom of the what, what we are learning and how we really are committing to that transformation within ourselves to be and do differently. And so unless we start to see the interconnectedness of these crises and that they are symptoms of how we're showing up and what we are in very small and bigger ways participating in and really intentionally choosing to act and live and work in a different way, we will continue to go to that point of burning ourselves out and, and extinction. And there's plenty of species that have gone to extinction. It's a part of, there's more species, I believe, don't quote me on this, that have gone to extinction than continue to exist, right? And we can be one of them. And so this is a evolutionary survival and hopefully one that leads to our thriving this time, not surviving. So if we are not able 
to change the way that we educate, train ourselves, and improve, we're going to head to a world where the youth feel increasingly disenfranchised, frustrated, depressed, all those statistics and all the problems you've cited in our society. And that's invariably going to lead to a bunch of conflict, us hurting each other, not understanding each other. And, you know, just like the world's going to crap more and more and more. Okay. That seems like a terrible world. We don't like that. So thank you for the work. <laughs> um, well, thank you for uplifting it. Of course. So now going a little bit into you, uh, it seems that this work obvi obviously comes from a place of love, a place of you really wake up every day and think, wow, this is what I need to be doing. And I think what characterizes that best from what I've seen is that you went to the University of Pennsylvania. That's where every single finance bro, no hate against finance bros, my finance people, if you're listening to this, much love. You could have gone that consulting banking route. You said no, and you ended up doing this type of work instead. And so when you think of that trajectory and how you ended up into here, what were some of the values that you clung, that you clung on to that put you in this headspace that, you know what, no matter what, I don't care what my university says or the people around me, I have to be doing this. Hmm. It's an interesting question that you asked, the values. And I think that I can't speak to those without speaking of my parents and their real boundary-breaking lives. Uh, my father being Indian, Hindu, came to the U.S. in his mid-20s. My mother, Italian, Catholic, also came to the U.S. in her mid-20s. They somehow met in Springfield, Illinois, through their exploration of science, both scientists, and landed up in Birmingham, Alabama, where I was raised from three to 18 years old. So that intersection of cultures influences, particularly in a co context like Birmingham with that depth of history in the US, that that all really first made me realize that how much that we 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 learn separation we learn that we are separate from each other from nature from that we're that there's these there's these differences that are just too far and wide for us to really hang out, be in community, create, maybe even create families. And that value that we are actually all one and we are one with each other, we are one in nature, we are interdependent and interconnected at all times. We just have lost our memory to see it is something that my parents both shared and felt and from very different spiritual and cultural origins 
and perspectives. And that really has been my grounded value and principle belief in navigating all of my choices and also choosing to work with and really find those that are willing and able and ready to, to nurture that interconnection in the world. And so that's where I feel everything that I'm doing. That's why I really focus on creating and weaving learning communities, which is a very specific innovation to bring about. Yet that one feels like my gift because of the weaving and sense-making that I had to do as a first-generation American in Alabama with the family that I had coming from very different contexts and then slowly expanding to understanding that history of civil rights still in progress in that region to understanding why that education, how it's feeding into that, to understanding to University of Pennsylvania, how it is continuing to be where it could be a vehicle to transform that and at the same time uphold those same dominant systems and starting to see that this, um, yeah, so that really then led to also another, as the daughter of two scientists, another value is curiosity, always leading with a question, understanding why, why, why experimentation. You only can enter with a hypothesis. Me, myself, is my perspective is a hypothesis. Everything else is discovery. And mm. I think that really also is the way I approach people. And it's that I have a hypothesis of who you are and who you may be and who you may become. Yet, you know you best, hopefully. And I'm here to just be a mirror and a window of that experience. And perhaps through those mirrors and windows, we can really discover how we're interconnected and how we're really distinct. And both of those play a role in this world. Uh, so I think that there's also a lot of curiosity for the way that we are different and the way that we, that brings unique intelligences, perspectives and gifts and tensions because we all know creative constraints also make us uh, innovate, right? When we hit a boundary in a wall, we have to problem solve. And so I do think that's my learning edge that I am now really exploring is how do you really weave with dissonance and tension and beyond just the differences that we are often naming and labeling, but really clear ideological values, polarities. How do you still move towards this better world and what role does that polarity play? And so that's where I'm kind of starting to, to learn with. And I think that that dual value center of interconnection, interdependence, oneness with curiosity 
has just always kept me free enough to play and, and made the corporate world quite boring for my choice of life, to be honest. And uh, I, I wanna learn, I'm a learner. And I hope to be always a learner where, wherever I go. And so I think that that it's, I'm, if I'm feeling like I'm not learning where I am and I tried various forms of work that felt like there was a limit that I was being asked to learn and put in a box to learn something very particular in a certain way. And that wasn't my unique gift to, to give. And I think maybe that if we all stepped into ourselves and asked what is really the unique gift we have to offer in making this world a better place for all people and planet, then we'd probably not choose at least 80% of the graduating class of the University of Pennsylvania wouldn't choose consulting. I think it would be a very different percentage. Understood. So it's interesting because I know that you had your little time in consulting. You were in the industry for a while and it was uh, one of these fancy consulting firms indeed. But I must say, this is kind of ironic considering the future plans that you have in Youth by Youth considering the consulting that's going to happen. And I think we're going to answer that as a last question is what you want to see in the future. But you know, it's so fascinating what you said, the combination of Indian, Italian, living in the South, then going up to school up North, having the Christian influences, the Hindu influences. It kind of makes sense that you're into weaving communities and bringing in different groups of people to make educational policy, educational practices that are really innovative. So God bless it. And I'm glad you're using that unique part of you in order to do this work. But now, in the final question, there are some future plans that you have for Youth by Youth, for the Weaving Lab. Why don't you explain to the folks and maybe you should start with the consulting. Uh, put me on the spot. So I think we're limited by language. Got to describe what the gifts I have to offer in a package that people can also offer financial compensation for. Mm. So that is what is packaged as what we're calling YouthX Dev. And that is focused our consulting arm of Youth by Youth that is focused on helping governments, organizations, corporations, universities, nonprofit organizations in their youth development challenges and opportunities. And what that looks like is one project that we're working on is with the Ministry of Youth in Cote d'Ivoire, who wants to create these 14 youth reinsertion centers, which is young people who are neither engaged in education nor employed and in a country where I believe 80% of the country is under the age of 30. That's a, to have your young people neither in education nor employed, that's a, that's a quite a latent potential of your nation. And so, and anywhere, if a young person doesn't feel engaged and is starting to disassociate, we're getting to that, that doom and gloom outcome that I said, what is the, so what, right? 
we're getting to the the burn, <laughs> the burning us out. So what we do is we offer designing of learning journeys, curricula, uh, these these centers, right? That that Cote d'Ivoire is, is trying to build as sort of ways of reinserting young people into the employability uh, to, with employable skills in their region and also civic engagement. We help with any entity that wants to understand how can we mobilize our young people to mobilize other young people in a learning process towards a more effective outcome for them, their communities, and their, their nations as well, uh, and environments and institutions that that, that uh, process and design process uh, I love. And that's what Youth XDEV has to offer. And it's also a place that our young people in Youth by Youth, which is a fully youth-led organization and nonprofit, can continue to learn and earn from their education activism as they exit what is called youth and into their fully expressed uh, age of employment. And so YouthXDev can be that work home that also they can continue to serve and earn in their, their communities through some entity that really is a cooperative um, that, that has their back and also bringing in more clients and contracts through that. So that's one service, that learning journey, curriculum design, working with those clients. Then there's also public speaking um, that I love and is a part of really sometimes the first step in people getting to know and being exposed to this idea that as young people, they have a possibility to reclaim their learning and that there is a better world that we know is possible and that it begins with us. And so that public speaking is also a piece of it. Uh, also, we have quite a number of artists, creatives. And so um, there's a design lab around that and creative performances and art. Music is a huge part of my life. I'm a singer, I'm married to a jazz pianist. It's I've loved to create music with a collective here in DC. And uh, so I would love to bring more of that into the world because talk about radical reimagination, there is no movement in this world that has been birthed without art and music. There's really actually our language and our storytelling and how we, our culture was developed through the expression of art. And so that is really another core offering that we provide. So I would call it a learning, an experimental lab that works with clients. I would call it a lot of other things, yet I call it a consulting firm because there are gonna be contracts and we are consulting with our gifts and offerings to certain clients and it will be organized as such, yet I think it's a package to a, um, it's a that's the more palatable, easier to understand package to something that really means something a lot more. 
Sure, I'm all in support. I have some friends at McKinsey and EY. If you need the slide decks looking good, I'll swing them your way. No, that's that's fantastic. Hey, we'd love it. Okay, um, we should talk after. Um, I will say to wrap this up. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And I must say that with all the things that you have done, I know audience, you've heard it, but Valentina. She is the co-founder and community organizer at Youth by Youth. She's the co-founder of The Weaving Lab. She is also a part of Students Shoulder to Shoulder. We did not mention it in this podcast too much, but she's the director of education there. And I'm actually wearing some Students Shoulder to Shoulder swag right here, always representing, yes. And also, Valentina is a person who allows people who just graduated from college sleep on her couch so we greatly appreciate that too. And when I'm talking, I'm talking about me. Guys, I'm talking about myself. She let me sleep on her couch instead of making me pay for a hotel. Greatly appreciate that. DC hotels are ridiculous. But altogether, thank you so much, Valentina. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. So I hope you enjoyed that episode of Valentina Raman. She is obviously so competent in the breadth of different advocacy work if you want to continue to rock with the podcast, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple. We're on both those platforms and right here on YouTube. We're going to try to build this up. If you're listening right now, instead of watching on YouTube, be sure to rate five stars. If you are watching on YouTube, be sure to like all that good stuff. Classic YouTuber nonsense. Please help us out. We really appreciate it and we hope you come back again. Have a good one. And happy Thanksgiving.